0: This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's
2: nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? <laughs> the answer is yes.
1: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week, Major Garrett. Let me set the scene for you. We're at Central Michelle Richard in the Penn Quarter of Washington, D.C. That's right between Capitol Hill and the White House, right across from what will soon be the formerly known as Trump Hotel here in downtown D.C. So you w- listen to or watch this show because you are curious about or fascinated by American politics. And you know, because you're in that category, that polling in America, that is, say, public policy polling or polling about who's going to win or who's going to lose an election or who might win or might lose an election, is in something of, and you've seen this written down, An existential crisis why because there is a perception grounded in data that 2016 and 2020 the polls were mostly wrong well there is a couple or there are a couple of exceptions to that and we are going to be talking with probably the most notable exception to that 2016 2020 polling failure his name is Robert Cahaley Trafalgar group you were more accurate than anyone in 2016 you were more accurate in other races not involving Donald Trump in 2020, and in this most recent 2021 cycle in New Jersey and Virginia governor's races, you were also more correct than anyone else. Have I got that
2: right? Except for uh, on the state polls in 2020, we had more number one state polls than anyone else too. So, your we, we, we didn't do national polls on that one.
1: You did not. Okay. So your group is known as kind of a different type of polling group within the polling sphere. You do things differently. You believe the way you do things differently creates a higher success rate. So tell my audience, what are some of your biggest successes, and what is your method that leads you to them or led you to them?
2: Well, um, so most recently in uh, this year, 2021, uh, in the Virginia race, uh, we had the, uh, I think the final number was two per, two per, Two tenths of a point off from the actual number, and the one point two off in New Jersey, and uh, and then in 2020, uh, we had five of the no- we had the the best poll in Texas, uh, Florida, uh, Wisconsin, uh, North Carolina, and Ohio, and uh, and then North Carolina Senate and the uh, Senate race in um, Arizona, and e- you know e- even the ones that Some of the ones that we were off, we were off by one or two points. Uh, Our average error rate, uh, according to 538, was 2.6. We think it was a little lower than that, but we're not going to argue over that. All the other polling companies are in the 3 and 4 and 5 range.
1: And we love, uh, Robert, to tell our audience about things that they hear mentioned in a relaxed way, but they may not remember. Five thirty-eight. What's that?
2: Yeah, that uh, it's a, a polling aggregate site that um, uh, Nate Silver uh, runs. I think he started it uh, at some point, uh, maybe during the Obama's uh, Obama's election. And uh, we're our polls are included there. Uh, you know, he, he's not the biggest fan of us. And we're not always the biggest fan of him. But he he is master statistician, and we'll give him that. And then Real Clear Politics is the other place that lists most of the polls. Uh, and that, that if I do. understand
1: it correctly, five thirty-eight gives you an A minus grade in polling in America currently.
2: Yes, up and from a C minus in twenty sixteen. And I'm I'm sure I'm sure they were excited about giving us that grade, <laughs> but uh, but you know, I, fair is fair.
1: So let me ask you this: uh, You're more right than wrong, or at least have been recently. Why? What is it that you do differently? And what do you think, more importantly, other entities that conduct polls are missing? or doing in old ways that are no longer relevant to the current times?
2: Yeah, I think that's it. I think it's the old ways. I mean, so many, uh, you know, th- there's kind of polling orthodoxy. And a lot of that involves the traditional method of having to rely on strictly live callers, uh, long surveys, uh, short, uh, small sample sizes. So like, as an example, we don't poll a state with under a 1,000. So you never
1: do a statewide poll that has less than a thousand respondents. That's right. Okay.
2: Uh, One, it it keeps your error rate really low. And I just think it it is hard to represent an entire, to get the feeling of a whole state when doing it that way. And
1: just briefly, because I think this is really important. Every poll is a mathematical extrapolation. You take a sample size and then you extrapolate what it means across the state. And you're saying if, your sample size in any given state is 400 or 600. It's, from its basis, not as good as 1,000.
2: Yeah, you, you started, you, you've you handicapped yourself. You've got to be really good to get it right. The more you sample, the more you're going to get it right, even if you don't do it very well. I mean, if you did 10,000, I mean, yes, it would be prohibitively expensive, but it would be a pretty darn good poll. Uh, the other thing uh, we think is really important is, is questionnaire size. Some of these guys, God bless them, but these polls are so long. I and by mean, that, you mean 20, 20 30, 30, 40, 105 questions? I mean, like, I always I ask people most times I speak in any audience, like, how many of you would take a 30 question poll? I mean, like, I like politics. I'm not sure, depending on what I had to do, whether I would take a 30 question poll.
1: A 30 question poll is at least a commitment of 15 to 20 minutes, if, at least. If
2: they're doing a good job but maybe a half an hour. Oh, absolutely. And so what happens is you end up getting people who care too much. They're too liberal. They're too conservative. Worse, they're bored. And they need somebody to talk to. And, you know, in the modern day, you know, people are not sitting around the parlor waiting on the telephone to ring. And, oh, Margaret, we have a phone call from a political survey. That's not reality. You know, it's like the phone rings and usually, you know, uh, if you call in the home who's line, bothering us now? Yeah, you know, you're calling the home line. I don't, I don't believe in home lines very much, but you're calling a cell phone. And you're talking to a, a lady. Maybe she's got a couple kids at the table. She's, she's trying to finish something she's got to do for her job. She's got dishes in the dishwasher. I mean, like, she's not going to talk. I mean, so what is the average
1: length of a cahaley Trafalgar Group survey?
2: We try to have you done in three minutes. Three minutes. Three minutes. And we like, and because what we found is the first question we get is, how long is this going to take? That's what everybody says. How long is this going to take? And so we like to, be able to say, it's just four questions, or it's just three minutes. You know, it, it's just five questions. But give them a sense. I mean, even, even if, you know, I mean, that, that's assuming they answer it quickly. Sometimes people take a minute. But if we did our part right, they can finish in three minutes it might take them four because they don't answer quickly
1: so some of my audience might be saying to ourselves wow you must have some really potent questions if you can learn so much in three minutes
2: well i mean here's the thing first of all we don't believe in spending a lot of time on demographic questions because it's 2021 you already know we know (laughs) we know this information i love when they ask are you registered to vote i'm like what in the heck are you doing is, the, is this address where you live? Oh, that's great. Give them a real sense of anonymity. Ask them that. I mean, is, I'm just sitting there like, are these guys for real? And so... So, so demographics skip. Yeah, we, we skip most of that. And, and the other thing is, on a lot of the stuff that you can get on consumer data, it's not accurate. You know, our premise is people lie. People lie to their doctor. They lie to their lawyer. They lie to their priest. And all of a sudden, they become honest A when they take a poll? No. That's not reality. And so, you know, I love that. Well, we're going to ask people what their income is or educational. Uh huh. Yeah, they're definitely, what we found is they're always going to up it a little bit. Whatever it is, they're going to tell you it's better than it is. Right. People are not. Embellishment is a natural human characteristic. Exactly. God bless us all. And and people are going to do that. Exactly. So, you know, I see this and I'm like, all right, well, so they waste a lot of time doing that. It also, I think, the part of the problem is people are very hesitant these days. Uh, You know, it started with what we call the shy Trump voter, and, Mm -hmm. you know, this is what's called the social desirability bias.
1: Right. And I'm going to stop you right there, Robert Cayley, because I want to talk about that desirability index the Chai Trump voter, and all your methods when we come on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett. We're at Central Michelle Richard Restaurant, Penn Quarter, D.C. Back for segment two in just one second.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. Again, setting the scene at Central, Michelle Richard, Penn Quarter, D.C. We're in between the lunch and the dinner hour. That's why there's this sort of expanse of empty tables behind us. But fear not. Chris is here. Please, Chris, come into the view of the cameras. to Take our late lunch order, if you'd be so kind. Absolutely. I will have French onion soup and some of the cheese and mac, please.
2: I'll have French onion soup and the uh, goat cheese Caesar. Very good.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Chris. Thank you Thank so you. much. So, we had a grabber right before we went to break.
2: Well, I mean, I've got to clear up one thing. Yeah. So, this whole idea that you got the whole restaurant for me, that's not real? No, no. Okay. No, well, we I we did not right, buy the well, whole okay.
1: restaurant and reserve it just right. for our private party. Well, I'm,
2: I'm a little bit crushed right now. I'll have to get past that.
1: <laughs> Life's full of disappointments,
2: right? Oh, I know it. <laughs> I'm a Braves fan, man. This is my first year ever (laughs) having a good year.
1: (laughs) Well, wait till you're a Padres fan, okay? But we won't discuss that. So uh, you were talking about the shy Trump voter and this idea that people, when they talk to pollsters, there's a certain idea that they don't want to reveal all about themselves because they don't want to be judged, if I heard you correctly.
2: Yeah, it's called the social desirability bias. And it is a phenomenon where a person, when speaking to another live person, tends to cater their answer to the person asking the question, so so they'll be looked at in a positive light. Uh, you know, the I think we were talking earlier about the, it, some refer to it as the Bradley effect. I think there's a Bradley Duke Majan race in, in California. Race where, for governor, right? Where Bra- Bradley uh, was leading in all the polls and then lost.
1: Mayor of Los Angeles, right?
2: And so this, you know, this this effect is is, is real and. It. It was significant in 2016, and it just it went off the charts in 2020.
1: And significant in what sense in 2016? What was it that you were able to detect that other pollsters couldn't about not only the support for then Republican nominee, soon to be President Donald Trump, and in relationship to Hillary Clinton?
2: Well, there's a couple. There's a couple ways you you, you find it. Uh, the first is in in your collection method. Uh, there are ways to ask. There, there, there's some tricks to, when you're asking with live callers to help eliminate the effect a little more. But we learned very early that any, anything uh, in 2016, we saw a significant difference between, in and, and those days, the automated uh, calls and the live calls. And the difference uh, in the primaries, which kind of first alerted me to this, was that the automated was right and the live was wrong.
1: And again, to explain to our audience, what's the difference between a live call and an automated okay. call?
2: So, a live call is when you have somebody, uh, an actual human being, in a call center calling uh, and asking people the questions. And an automated is when they can tell that it's uh, you know being read the answers. Uh, so, it's an uh, like a recorded voice, I mean, we and then, then you push a push a button
1: on your keypad or on your live on your phone, and that's right. how you answer. Right. That's
2: the difference. Okay. The limitation for automated that has really changed a lot over the few years is that you have to do those on home phones. You can't do those on cell phones. And so I, they're really on the way to being extinct. Mm-hmm. So we, we don't rely on those much anymore. But in 2016, it was what demonstrated the gap. And so we, we ra- it, it helped us see the gap the first time. The other thing was we noticed a lot of people were voting who hadn't voted in a very long time. So
1: two points there. When people in 2016 during the primaries had what they felt was this veil between them and the pollster, meaning pushing a button and not answering a live person, they were more truthful and more pro-Trump than they were in the live calls.
2: Without question.
1: Without question, okay.
2: So, I you know, everybody who's in any of this business learns something from people along the way. And one of the guys... I learned a good bit was a guy named rod Sheely, uh who passed on a few years back but he he wasn't he was a, a i grew up doing south and politics in south carolina and it's you know it's a kind of a full contact sport there very rough and tumble with presidential campaigns every few years and so but rod had this thing he said you, you have to give people a polite way to tell you something impolite and so one of the tricks he uses is ask the neighbor question well all right so here's how that's how you're voting all right how would you say most of your neighbors are voting? And that's a vehicle for someone to, to tell you the truth. And so what we found, uh, so we employ, after what we saw in the primaries, we employed that on our live calls. We started asking the neighbor question, And what we found is there was a difference. And the greater the difference of the number of people who said that they were for Hillary uh, in the first ballot test and then said they were for, uh, that their neighbors were for Trump, it, 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 was, it varied state by state, and the wider it was, it we, we, we started to realize, all right, it's all one way. It's never the other way.
1: Meaning, if you call me, and I'm on the other end of the line, and I say, well, I'm undecided, and you say, okay, how do you think most of your neighbors are going to vote? Oh, they're all for Trump. What well, do you hear from that?
2: Well, actually, but more it was, I'm for Hillary. I'm voting for Hillary, but ah. my neighbors are all for Trump. And, and so, but we we could see, it was certainly with Undecided, but we could see that this Even was... Even with
1: Hillary's, that wasn't exactly what was going on.
2: Right. Uh, we, yeah, you could definitely... It, it was it, the opposite it, of what was going on. Exactly. But it wasn't... They that. were with their neighbors, they just didn't want to say that. But nobody was saying they were for Trump and not for Hillary. I mean, they, they were for Trump and they were actually for Hillary. Right. That, there was, we didn't see that anywhere. And right, then, there were
1: those shy Hillary voters in Trump land. But,
2: yeah, and there was nobody who said, oh, my neighbor's are for Hillary and I'm for Trump. Like, that was... That was not a number. It was,
1: but, that was cropping up in 2016. Right.
2: But, you know, they, and then you have to add to it. I mean, this is hard to you know, kind of getting one of the things we do different is like add to it. All right. You know, how do you, you get a sense of what's happening? Well, it's, you know, it started with just you have to pay attention. I think scientific all these numbers, look at all this, is a good way to do things. But you have to use good sense and good judgment, too. You can't just say, "Well, this is the model, and this is the way you have to do it." I mean, we lived in a world where everybody knew somebody who was for Trump, who didn't want to have a sign in their yard. There were there were people that I had friends that were actually worked for him, who didn't put a sticker on their car because of where they parked at night. So that was not a normal thing. That was not something that would have happened with Romney or Bush or McCain. That, that it was right. different. So you have to realize the model. It's gonna have to change, you know. You can't just say, "Well, this is the way we've always done it." You have to, you have to be willing to recognize that the world changes, people's attitudes change. So now we've we've we, we've used the neighbor question occasionally, but we have other methods. We really like different collection methods, like we use texts, we use emails, online platforms, and 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 so we can mix all those with live calls and get a really good sense. Uh, a people the more people are, feel that the poll is anonymous the more honest they're going to be and so we're going to do a bigger survey we, we have some other methods that we're not uh, we learned after 2016 everyone started copying our neighbor question and they know who they are and i called them out on twitter for doing it um but yeah we learned we're not going to tell everybody every, every one of our little tricks mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of different ways to, to skin this cat. That's Thank a little different.
1: French onion soup has arrived. Looks wonderful. Thank, Thank you. you.
2: But you but you can't argue. I mean, you can't argue with the averages. I mean, you know, we we get people beating up. Oh, a, you know, a broke clock is right twice a day. And all well, hey, you know, sixteen all the way to present. I mean, the, our error rate is just so low compared to everybody else. So you don't have to like it. But it, the the model has changed. People have change. Life is different. And you have to adjust.
1: Robert, do you consider yourself or your firm a pro-Trump polling outfit?
2: You know, that's the thing. I do not like when people... The way I look at politics is, it's no secret. I'm a Republican. But, you know, when I was in college, my favorite professor was an adjunct professor named Don Fowler, who actually was the chairman of the DNC at one point. And he was a Democrat operative his whole life. And the first thing he said the first day of class was, I'm a Democrat. I'm a Democrat operative. I'm a a Democrat officer. Take what I say, knowing where I come from. And so in a world where so many of these quote-unquote independent media pollsters have an agenda they won't tell you, yes, I'm a Republican. But if you think I'm going to make a poll look positive for somebody... Because of what party I'm in, that you don't know me very well. I like being right more than anything.
1: That is the voice of Robert Cahaley, our special guest. We are at Central Michel-, Michel Richard restaurant. Thank you. Get that French through me very easily, or maybe not. Back for segment three in just one second.
0: This podcast is supported by FedEx. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. From CBS News,
1: this is The Takeout with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the show. Robert Cahaley is our special guest, Trafalgar Group, the most accurate polling group in the last 2016, 2020, 2021 cycle. We're explaining and learning how. However you find the show, our early adopters on podcast platforms Great to have you with us. Radio stations around the country, more than 70. We appreciate you being here. Catching the vibe of the show, Paramount Plus, CBSN, SiriusXM, XM, POTUS Channel 124. However you find the show, thanks for being along for the ride. And because these distinctions matter, I want to clarify something. Robert, you have never been a Trump campaign pollster, have you?
2: Yeah, I've never been paid by the, uh, the Trump campaign. Um, and, uh, you know, the, my main thing is I'm going to tell you what I think is real. I, I, you know, we're not going to be in the tank for anybody. I mean, it. When when we, you know, we do work. We do work sometimes for campaigns, and I, I have worked for PACs and things like that. But I did not work directly for the campaign. And and the other thing that's important is that there are two kinds of polls that you put out there. And uh, this is a point of contention. I think it's important <coughs> distinction. And we always put this on our social media if it is a poll we are doing uh, that was, you know, a public poll that we want to put out there in the information space to the media, then we pay, we're pay. we paying for it, and we and we say it now. When it has a sponsor, so like if it was for a pack or something, then we'll put, you know, co-sponsored by this pack. But I think that's an important distinction because people need to understand, I mean, you know, some say, well, it's internal. I get that. But the main thing that's important is that yeah, there are probably partisan pollsters who would rather uh, say things that make their candidates or their causes happy than get it right. We're not one of those because we know that we don't have any more business if we if we constantly so get things wrong. If those
1: in our audience, um, who however they find us—podcasts, Paramount Plus, terrestrial, satellite, digital streaming—go to Real Clear Politics, and many of them do, and many of them will in the future—and they see a Trafalgar Group poll. That's a business development poll of yours. That's in the public sphere. That is not sponsored or paid for by a candidate or a PAC, correct? That's right.
2: That's exactly right. And, you know, if you look on our social media, you'll see lots of other polls that do not appear on, on some of these media outlets because those are ones that are paid for. Mm-hmm. And so we make it clear what the, when, when that is the case. Uh, but regardless, you know, <clears throat> believe you me, one of the hardest things to do is to tell somebody who is writing you a check for a poll – what they do not want to hear bad news and i'm t- i'm telling you it it is there are, there are a lot of people in this industry who who, who tell people all the rosy stuff and yet i'd um, rather t- pull the Band-Aid off
1: i've covered politics at the national level since 1990 my first presidential campaign 1992 one of the iron rules i've learned uh, from people who are experienced and skilled at this is believe bad polls believe bad news and act accordingly don't dismiss bad news. Believe it. Don't tell yourself that can't be true or it can't happen because it probably is.
2: It's funny. That's one of the pieces of advice I always give candidates. Like, well, should I do a poll? And I'm like, will it change what you do. Because if it's not going to affect your behavior, then don't waste your money. <laughs> you know, and, and that really does. It, it matters. Like, do you really want to know? And, and the fact is, you know, most candidates are shocked. Oh, my. There's no way my name recognition is that low. And I'm like. You thought it was that high? I mean, man, maybe in your house full of mirrors it's that high, but that is not in the real world. Right. I mean, average people aren't really sure of the difference between a state senator or a U.S. senator. People that vote. Right. <laughs> and people don't understand just how little average, <clears throat> average people have real lives. They have stuff to do. They mm-hmm. don't listen to political podcasts.
1: No. no, no. They're
2: out there doing real stuff. They're paying bills. They're taking care of kids they, they've got other stuff to do and so, that's what you got to recognize is the world doesn't revolve around people who live for politics right
1: so on election day this year i was on the set of cbs mornings and uh we were doing a segment on what was going to have a lot of focus on virginia the governor's race there for obvious reasons and then gail king before, before the segment ended said what else are you going to be looking at tonight and i said keep your eye on the new jersey governor's race and everyone around the table's like Oh, God, majors lost it. What's going on? And sure enough, that was something to keep an eye on because uh, everyone involved in that governor's race really kept an eye on it all night, the next morning, and the next day (laughs) because it was much closer. Phil Murphy, the incumbent Democrat, won, but it was a very, very close race, closer than any of the polls except yours indicated. And one of the pieces of information I used was your poll. Others was sort of under-the-radar frantic activity of the Murphy campaign, bringing in former President Obama and doing other things that told me their internals showed something disruptive in the data. What did you see in New Jersey? What was going on in New
2: Jersey? It was one of those things where people, you know, there's people who said, hey, you ought to be looking at New Jersey. I mean... God bless my The guy will say it probably 20 or 30 times. Every time I turned around on like the business shows, like Neil Cavuto was saying, something's going on in New Jersey. Something's going on in New Jersey. And I kept hearing him say that. And, and a lot of what we do is kind of anecdotal. When you hear stuff, it makes you want to look into it. And so we just kept hearing that. And I'm like, I started looking at all the other polls. And I noticed, man, that Murphy's sitting there at 50. I mean, for an incumbent governor, he's not over 50 in any of these things. That's a lot of undecided. I was like, no, we, so we, we decided, hey, we saw another opportunity to, to kind of differentiate ourselves from the crowd. And so we got in there and, and, and pulled it, and we saw it very, uh, we saw him stuck right around 49, and we did not think that he was going to close very hard. We saw most of the undecideds breaking against him. Uh, He was a known entity. There was a lot of enthusiasm uh, for the other side. And uh, the uh, Democrats in New Jersey and and pretty much Virginia, some of the, the, they've alienated some of their base uh, with some of the policies. Uh, There was just an overall feeling that they weren't handling things well, Uh, you know, kind of generic ballot stuff. But we just, we had a real sense of that. And so when we looked at it, it, it was kind of where we thought it would be. Uh, and I was like, well, we're going to go out there. It ended up, I think it ended up, we had it at like 4.2 and it ended up like 2.9 or something like that. Uh, so it was, it was very close.
1: Is there anything from that experience and also from Virginia that is relevant for the kind of work you will do or what Americans should expect to see in the midterms coming up?
2: Well, we are a political lifetime away from midterms. I know everybody wants to tell you how it's over already.
1: What he just said, write it down, folks. Memorize it. We are a lifetime away from the midterms.
2: Yeah. I, everybody needs to think about 1991 and 1992. has a big difference. Mm-hmm. So I know everything look, you know, looks like a just a Republican landslide, but a lot of things can happen. A lot of things affect politics. I mean, you know, when Trump was sitting there in November of uh 2019 nobody knew what covid was i mean that radically affected his uh, his election so i mean these things can happen i mean there are international conflicts i mean you know god forbid some kind of a terrorism and there's so many things that can completely derail uh what people expect to happen in politics so but i think the things to be looking for is you've you've seen a, a movement of the Parents, this this whole thing with the looking at with COVID, with looking at what the kids were doing at school,
1: school curriculum, school procedures. Parents
2: have a greater awareness of what's going on, Uh, and there's a lot of frustration on parents' part about uh, vaccines and masks and childhood development. And you also see it with like a lot of the college kids' age because. You know these guys. No,
1: he's still working on it.
2: They're not so afraid of of, of COVID, and, and this was a block that the Democrats had really locked up. But you know you can't campaign in 2020 saying you're all going to get free tuition, and then now you can't even go to class, and you you got to do a bunch of things that you don't think you need, and that's what. So we're anyway, seeing.
1: education has become a powerful issue, and not necessarily the historically advantageous issue it has been for Democrats.
2: And and the, and the government overreach uh, as. with the the people's daily lives with 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 covid is is certainly a big one there's been a lot of rebellion on that we got a lot of uh, folks that are frustrated like that we uh, we see some major movement in the african-american community over vaccine mandates and uh, we also see uh, the the thing with the the border is is taking on a life its own it's not just about immigrants crossing the border it's people in states a long way away like a New Hampshire saying the border is why that there's so many opioids. The, the, they the tie the those fentanyl. two things together. Yeah, the, the, the connection's being made now. I think the numbers are, you know, 60, 70% of the overdoses are fentanyl. and, and So there's this recognition that the border isn't, is a problem and there's just too much footage. You can't tell people, you know, things aren't happening that they see happening. But the main two things we're seeing and, and I think th- this is what's in the way of Build Back Better. It's what, is this idea that- Robert,
1: let me hold you on that because we've got to go for a break real quick. We'll get back to that thought about what else you're seeing, especially in relation to Build Back Better. Robert Cahaley is our special guest. I made your Garrett, segment for The Takeout in just one moment.
0: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move, New members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500, 500 From CBS News, this is The Takeout.
1: With Major Garrett. Welcome back to segment four of the Takeout. Central Michelle Richard is our location, Penn Quarter, Washington, D.C. Robert Cahaley is our special guest. Trafalgar Group is his polling company. Don't ask, don't believe me, just read 538 or Real Clear Politics, the most accurate or one of the most accurate polling firms of the last two cycles, three cycles if you count, 2021. Robert, I stopped you in mid thought about what you're seeing in the polling data about Build Back Better and other things possibly relevant to the midterms.
2: It was one of the things we discovered early in Virginia. Uh, with all At that time, a lot of the governors were doing the thing where they were canceling the extra $300 in federal subsidy for unemployment. And, you know, we just asked, should the governor of Virginia do that? And that was the most bipartisan agreement. We were 62% of all Virginians said yes. Cancel it. Yes. Because people have this perception, and it has grown, that the government is at the heart of fouling up everything. Because they can tell people, oh, people aren't going back to work because of COVID, or whatever they want to say it is. But what they tell us is, no, no, no. My cousin, he he, he wasn't paying rent. He, He was just sitting home doing nothing. Or I you know, I run a cafe and the guy you know, he guys says, Hey, and I can't find an employees or, or you know, one of the guys had a car dealership and he said, We can't find somebody to drive around in a brand new car and pick people up, for gosh sakes. So everyone so is the problem is when you can't tell people something they know isn't true. And so this Or argument, does not
1: match their lived experience or their anecdotal reality.
2: Exactly. And so that there, there is this perception that this, All this government involvement, all this government money has made inflation go crazy and is, just, and is working against the work ethic. And a lot of people think Build Back Better means more people not working and getting checks from the government.
1: And therefore, you detect more resistance to that than perhaps the White House believes or congressional Democrats are allowing themselves to believe.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and you know, because people, whether it's supply chain, whatever it is, when you come back down to it people say well the supply chain's about truckers and then you see stories about how there are no truckers to drive the trucks or and so it it comes down to this idea that everything got all fouled up because of the, the government's intervention and government get out of our way and that's there's just so much a feeling of that that people are kind of ready to get past all of it and they see inflation as a symptom and that It's just part of the problem.
1: I want to ask you this broader question, because um, I think you have some insights into it. As um, You mentioned this a moment ago. Republicans are feeling like the midterms are a lock, landslide coming our way. You would caution them based on what? What would you say? Hey, Republicans, wake up. There's something else out there that you should be aware of. And I think one of the things that might be is there's still a sentiment that both parties are lousy, <laughs> And both parties can go to heck.
2: That is exactly what I was about to say. I think that when people get this frustrated with the government, a throw the bums out mentality can take place. A just vote against all incumbents can take place, and so, I, so, people are frustrated. You know, you see these generic bouts where they they willing to give the Republicans another chance. And, the, and they're not confident in the Democrats because they, they don't really understand what's going on. And when you look at what their priorities are, you know, every, uh, on the national issues, the Democrats seem to spend a great deal of time on uh, climate change and social issues, uh, you know, social reform or equality, equity issues. And they're, they're just not in the top five. Neither one of those is in the top five. And so they're, they're de- definitely not where, not where the voting electorate is. And when people get really frustrated, you know, they, they're going to act out. You know, you, you told all these young people they're going to have free college and they didn't get it. Right. <laughs> Let me
1: ask you this. Based on your surveys, what do you believe those who are self-identified Republicans believe happened in the 2020 election? Do they believe there was something amiss and they're not sure what it was? Or do they believe outright it was stolen and there was massive fraud engineered by the other party.
2: I believe it's. They think it's everything, the entire spectrum. There, everyone has a different perspective. Everyone gives you a. There's there there are some. I mean, th- what you just said—that whole range exists—from people who think it was complete. There was no problems, uh, to, you know, that it, it was. I mean, the, some of the craziest conspiracies you've ever heard, and so. But what we have found is there's agreement, and it's it's almost bipartisan. Is that if all the states had gotten their stuff together in the way like a Texas and Florida did, and they had announced all the election votes on election night and announced Biden would win, there would be a different opinion. And there's also a consensus that if they didn't, so been the run-
1: time lag, the perceived time lag, or the real time lag, created space for doubt right that 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 metastasized in some instances to outright suspicion and conviction that the election was stolen
2: absolutely there there are people who who have all these different theories and and so but this idea that if if some states can do it why can't all states why can't all states count all the abces why can't they all give us numbers I mean that's what we keep hearing and, and there is a consensus that the rule changes did affect the election. Now, be good or bad. I mean, they were changed, and so and, and some of the rules were changed within the law. Some of them weren't, but a lot of people don't understand the Electoral College either. Sure,
1: but but as an example of what you just said, because I've spent a lot of time on this particular subject in Pennsylvania, for example, election officials at the county level and Democrats in the state legislature begged Republicans to allow them to pre-process absentee ballots so they could be rapidly counted on election day. They were refused. Florida and Texas do that. That's one of the reasons that they count their ballots so much more rapidly. They can open the envelopes, get them ready to be processed through the reading machines, but if you have to open them, and you can only open and touch them on election day, that slows the process down. So in that particular case, in Pennsylvania, I only speak to Pennsylvania because I know a lot about it, the reason the results – one of the big reasons the results were delayed is because they couldn't prepare the ballots for counting.
2: But and that, Republicans stood in the way of that. But in Pennsylvania, wasn't there an issue about postmarks and, and return addresses too? Yes, but that, the po- – That but was the, why but, the Republicans, I think, were standing in the way.
1: Yes, but in the end, the, the ballots that were postmarked after Election Day weren't, weren't even part of the final total because there was, a, there was litigation about that. My only point is that some of these things persist – And they're not really grounded in a genuine reality but as you said they're perceived and they're believed and that's all that matters
2: you know there's no question people's perception of what happened is 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 very i mean you know you could ask people you know what what did you you know what did you think of the game and somebody want to talk about the offense some are going to talk about the defense some are going to talk about the band everybody has a different perception of of how it is uh but it's like if you're watching a, a, a baseball game and you are sure that the, the ump just made a few critical mistakes that lost the game you don't give up on baseball right and so this argument that that people just they're just going to tear it all down no most people are saying hey if there's some problems in the elections let's fix them nobody wants anybody disenfranchised but people want all the you know the votes to be legit and Anything that it gives more transparency, everybody can agree with. The mm-hmm. Good chain of custody. Everybody can agree that's a good idea. Move
1: on and don't give up. I think we'll
2: leave right, it right there. Yeah, fix it.
1: Robert Haley, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. For our radio audience, we need to say farewell for those on CBSN and our podcast platform. Stay tuned for the Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week.
0: Looking to instantly upgrade your Mother's Day gift from typical to meaningful? Shop Etsy. From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett. Again, setting the scene for you. We are at Central. Michelle Richard, Chris, our waiter, will be coming in any moment. We are told with a signature dessert, which we are going to be... Oh, there it is. Here we are. It looks very seasonal, this I would a, say.
2: Yeah, this is a signature holiday dessert of ours. It's the snowman. The snowman. So the snowman is, is sweet meringue, and complete with his chocolate hat. He's filled with vanilla, house-made vanilla ice cream, and he's on a snowy bed of fresh sweetened whipped cream and raspberry sauce with some berries as well.
1: And Chris, we thank you for that. <laughs> Robert Haley is our special guest, Trafalgar Group, polling group, most accurate 2016, 2020, and 2021, confounding so many in the uh, professionalized world of polling. Are you, do you consider yourself a professional pollster?
2: I don't know what that means. Is there like a registration area or well, a bureau or something? Well, oh, they have an association, but the association doesn't like our methodology, so, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think they want us in that club, and that's Do okay. you adopt
1: the Groucho Marx uh, sentiment that you'd never want to be a member of a club that would have you in it?
2: <laughs> no, I mean, I think, I think it's just more— That's sort of where I land. Well, I mean, we are used to being an outlier, so it doesn't surprise us to be an outcast— I mean this industry is full of people who are have a partisan agenda with what they poll and they're pushing it or people, you know, who are trying you know are trying to achieve trying to achieve something other than getting the numbers right. And I don't really understand that. Mm-hmm. I think that polling should be about reflecting the electorate, not affecting the electorate. But hey, none of them got fired, so maybe I'm wrong. <laughs>
1: So you've said two things uh, in the course of our conversation, Robert, that I think are worth repeating. One, you were quoting one of your mentors who said, find a way to allow people, a polite way to say something that's impolite. And what you just said, reflect the electorate, not affect it. Yeah. Those seem to me pretty powerful baseline foundational approaches to what you do and what a lot of us should do when thinking about and engaging in politics.
2: I mean... that's what, what's frustrating to me is that there isn't any accountability on it and what's but I will I will I will say this in defense of, you know, some of the ones who, who got it wrong in Virginia like and and New Jersey they're in in the game. So as much as people want to, you know, talk about, well, these guys got it wrong, what's worse is the ones who claim to be reflect public opinion but don't do campaigns anymore guess what that's the only test we get so if you won't if you're if you're afraid to poll campaigns something that you you figure out whether you're right or wrong then what are you doing that's like a lawyer who doesn't want to go to trial I mean so and there are a lot of firms out there now who just we don't do campaigns that's because you can't pass the test that's because your margin of error rate is ridiculous uh, the sound effect you might be hearing in your back of your mind is no, so- <laughs> it, it, it's just frustrating because some of these guys, you know, they all want to sit on Thank their for the uh, horses and talk about it and talk about their valuations. <clears throat> and I'm like, well, that's a joke. Right. Because you, you don't get elections right. I don't know what you do get right.
1: So, Robert, what we do on the show with every guest we have, and we've done it for nearly five years, our audience loves the answers. You might be familiar with it because I think you've listened to a show or two. <laughs> we call them the three threshold questions. uh So, in whatever order you prefer, most influential book in your life, it could be a book you read as a young person, college, whatever, all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies, and if you're driving or flying somewhere and there's a long distance involved and you really are going to indulge yourself in some music you really like, what's that music likely to be, by artist or genre?
2: Okay. um, Movies is kind of a twofer. It depends on what mood I'm in. Uh, I like Spies Like Us is my favorite comedy movie. (laughs) it's a great movie <laughs> it, it, it just i mean you just can't At the height of their comedic game absolutely and the, the, the political humor in it was amazing uh and my more dramatic movie it gotta be american gangster uh really really like uh denzel's role in that and mm-hmm. just the way he just he's the best and demonstrated very well um a book growing up uh, and
1: it could be a contemporary book too i, did, I didn't mean to okay. put my thumb on the scale there
2: well I read a few biographies on uh, uh, Thomas Jefferson. I-, I found those fascinating. But one of the books that they made me read in college, that uh, and it's actually two volumes, was, um, and it's, I write through her here in a French restaurant, was uh, Democracy in America. It's so yes. uh, Just the insight, when you think about how long ago that he understood Americans in this way and the unique thought that makes us different from... The entire social order in Europe, and it just it, We still fit so many of those molds today. Now, if I was gonna be a, a long trip, it really depends, uh, kind of on the weather. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if it's dark, I want like you know, big band Sinatra type music, but if but if it's um, you know, if or maybe jazz, but if it's uh, if it's sunny or something, uh, definitely gonna some kind of uh probably going to be listening to some kind of oh, shoot uh, obviously i like a lot of 80s music and 90s music and uh, if i'm in the right mood i listen to entire eminem eminem issue. there we go
1: not exactly what i was expecting you to say robert kahala uh, that's you'd very be surprised
2: good surprised how many how many lyrics i know by heart <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is very very good and i'm going to end with this sentiment which i think you'll agree with if you are frustrated with America now and you want to become a little bit less frustrated, read to Tocqueville and understand some of the essences and the great strengths and foundational truths of this country. You'll feel a little less angry about America. Agreed?
2: Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like Notre Dame is for America. He saw where, who we were and where we were going, and he's still right.
1: Exactly. Robert Cayley, it's been a great pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much for being Thank at you. The Takeout. We'll see you next week, folks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook,
0: Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, And Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS
1: News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. (laughs) AutoTrader.